We're very blessed today to have Terry and Ingvold Snow with us and their youngest son, Ethan. They're missionaries to Haiti. Terry is a native of Granbury. He is our city's gift to the nations. They oversee youth with a mission in that part of the world. The base they have in Haiti is world class. I've been there a couple of times, and we so appreciate them. And Ingvold has a word for us as a congregation as well as Terry. At this time, Terry and Ingvold. I just want to talk to you a little bit about your youth, actually, because um, this has been burning on my heart for um, a couple of years now since I've been here. Uh, I talked to Yvette a little bit about it last time I was here. I actually went to her house because it was just I had to get the I had to tell her. <laughs> um, I've been keeping up with her a little bit, so I know a little bit about your youth group. I haven't visited with them for um, a lot or anything like that. Um, but I've heard about them, and uh, they're different. You, you guys got a very unique youth group here at this church, and I'm sure you know. Um, they're, they're, they're the broken ones. They're the cast down, the rejected. Um, the, they're messed up. <laughs> and they're the sinners. Uh, those are the kinds of people you guys have brought into your youth group. Um, I'm sure there's other kids in the youth group, too, the, the normal kind of youth group that you find out there. And, and they're, they're mingling with each other, and, and that, to me, is, is so great. Um, they're, like I said, they're the, the outcasts of society, really, in many, many ways, because they're so broken, they're so messed up. They're the ones that the world kind of looks upon that, Oh, you know, those are the messed up youth, and we just got to live with them. And but no, those are the ones that God has put His hand on, um, and they're coming into church. You guys are welcome them into your congregation. And since they are so messed up, God's power is going to fall upon them, and He, the power to save, the power to redeem. The power to restore, the power to to heal them on all levels of their lives. I mean, do you see this? You see the powerhouse that's in your church, ready to explode among these kids. And it, it's going on. They're being healed and restored. And God's going to put them upon the solid rock. And upon that, he's going to build his church it's the next generation that's coming up. It's the next generation church. And I just feel in my bones that's where revival is going to happen in our, in, in, in our generation, so to speak. That's where it's at. And you've got it right here in your church. And that's what makes me so excited. <laughs> and you need to know that. You need to know that. that pay attention. Uh, as I was thinking about your name this morning, Generations, um, I don't know how that came about. I like to hear the story sometime of how you named your church Generations Church. But anyways, I think it's very prophetic. And the word um, or the prefix inter uh, dropped into my heart this morning. So intergenerational. Um, you guys can take that and just kind of mull upon what that means for your church. Because I think there's more to it than what's been dropped into my heart about it. But that prefix means interwoven, 
um, it's, there's some words, intermarriage, interdenominational, intergenerational. I mean, you could take it, and, and you've got it right here, and God's going to do something about that. There is an interwovenness about your, the generations of your church that is going to be so powerful. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. I think God has got something special. She was talking too. I was just thinking, you know, when when I got my life turned around, um, they didn't have much hope for me. Actually, it was funny when I actually crossed the st- the the field to go out to be graduating from Granbury High School. The secretary told me not so encouraging words. She looked at me and said, "Are you sure you're supposed to be here?" I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, your name is here. And I'm like, gee, thanks for the encouragement, you know. I'm like, oh, yeah. But then when I got saved, I got so radically saved, I didn't actually get saved in the church that I normally attended. I actually went to a church of God, which I hope to go there tonight. And I showed up in this church, and they didn't know me for nothing. And I got radically saved, probably because nobody else would have believed it. And the reality is when I went back to the church that my grandfather actually founded, which was Faith Assembly of God here in Granbury, Texas, um, when I, I came into that service, I, I was later told, like two or three months later, that the, the elders were teaming up to figure out what was my intent to destroy their church. Now, why I say that is because you have, as my wife gave that word, I was thinking in my heart, wow. You know, you may see some of your young people and you say, oh, Lord, help us. And God's saying, this is the right stuff. This is the right stuff to shake Granberry. This is the right stuff to shake the nations. Hey, I am not meant to be the only missionary sent from Granberry, Texas. Come on, let's see something happen here, you know. And I'm just excited about this and also the interweaving of the generations is very, very, very important. And I think God wants to do that. I don't think it's something you should force. You force a young person to do something, they will never do it. Did you know that? You know, but God will do it. God will marry the generations. That's a, that was a word to you of what God's doing, so that you embrace it as God does it. You don't run from it. Amen? Well, I have a lot to share, and I'm going to share as quickly as possible. Hallelujah. But first, I've got to tell you this fun story, because y'all look like a fun group. And so the other ones this morning, they look like they were still waking up. But anyway, I, you know, today, the mission field is always full of surprises. And this, not too long ago, I think it was about a month or so ago, I was driving out to a lower fist section, which is a very poor area in Haiti. That's where the roads are more like cow trails and stuff like that. And I was on a motorcycle somebody gave me. It was a Suzuki 400. And it was fun. And I had my helmet on because my wife made me wear it. And I put it on, and I had everything, and I'm driving down the road, and I'm, you know, you're driving down this this dirt road, and all of a sudden, here's this cow. And this cow is walking down the road this way, and I'm driving down this way, and all of a sudden, God, only God knows why cows think the way they think, but that cow decided he needed to cross the road in front of me, and there was no time. And so I invented a new definition of T-bone. 
I T-boned that cow. Man, he cut right in And there was just no time. I slammed on all my brakes. And I just T-boned that cow. And I remember I, I, I hit that cow and the thing. It's funny. Everything goes slow motion when you think back to these tragedies and these, and you know, and I hit this cow and the cow turned long ways, like to run with the motorcycle after I hit him. And the first thought in my mind, because I'm from Granbury, Texas, was I'm going to ride the cow on the ground, you know. And so I go to reach for the cow to ride the cow, only the motorcycle flipped the other way. And so I was sad. So I lost the cow, and I landed on the ground. And I remember hitting the ground just like this. And I remember thinking, oh, that's going to hurt. And, and I just sh- and came to a stop, you know, and I got a nice scar right here right now and everything, you know. And uh, then I remember the, the motorcycle's laying on me, and I look in front of me. And about as far as, like, the third road right there, the cow was standing there just looking at me. As if to say, why did you do that? You know? But, see, God lets us feel at home even in the mission. I felt like I was all the way back in Texas again. You know, I almost got to ride a cow. I hit a cow. and I, It was has nothing to do spiritually. I just thought I'd tell you that story. I have a little thing back there. It has uh, our picture on it. It's really small and tiny, but we meant to get it done at Staples. Didn't have it in time, and Alan came to the rescue, and he printed a bunch of these up. But if you're interested, you can see, or somebody did. I don't know who it was, but thank you, whoever did it. But if you want a little picture of us and have a magnifying glass, you can, you know, and, and on the back has information on it. Also, I have my book back there, just so you know. It's called Taking the High Places. And normally we let these go at $10 online. They're like 13 So, But you know what? Today, if you'll buy one and give one to a friend, that would be two. I'll give it to you for $15. So anyway, that's just a little thing for you if you're interested in. I want to share today about a lot of things. Now, this is our family. When we were talking, my wife mentioned intergenerational things and it's incredible we got three generations of snows down in haiti right now i'm a grandparent i don't look like a grandparent do y'all think i look like a grandparent thank you but not too many said anything but anyway this is our our kids and all of them are doing really well and i've I, my my son there with his wife and the baby in the arms my oldest he's running our ministry right now in saint mark haiti and doing a fabulous job right to his right, I guess it would be, is Wilna. She's our adopted daughter. She's helping me and Evil out with a national office. And then we have Ethan. Ethan's here today. He's running the media in the back. So um, Elizabeth there is our daughter right next to Ingville. And she runs a dance camp, youth program. Uh, it's She started that actually at age 16. So now she's training the next generation of Haitian young people. And uh, it's been exciting to see what God. She is so intense. I don't know where she gets it from. And then uh, we have Christian there. Y'all may know Christian. He was here, and actually he has a little hello to you. And uh, got a little video. We want, want him to, to give a report on what he's doing with his ministry. Hello, this is Christian Snow, the producer of the Bonfui Program, which is a 30-minute variety show airing to the people of Haiti with the gospel of Jesus Christ teaching discipleship through fun and creative ways. For the past several years, we've been airing this program in St. Mark, where it has gotten very popular. And after we did a survey at the beginning of this year asking people what was the best way this program could improve, 
30% said is that it reached more places in Haiti. So this year, that's what we're doing. We are in production of the very first national Bon Fui season to be launched in 2016. And at the same time, we're contacting all the different TV stations of Haiti and getting them to broadcast what we've created so far. So one million are already being reached, but our official goal is to reach four million people. That's four million people who are touched by the love of Jesus Christ through entertainment and discipleship on television. To launch a national season in 2016, we're going to need some help. And this is where God might be calling you to get involved. For $50 only, we will have enough money to write, film, edit, and broadcast one minute of this season. So, would you like to give $50 to see one minute of Christian entertainment reach 4 million people across the nation of Haiti? If that is you, please email me at bonfuitv at gmail.com or visit the YouTube description for information on how to donate. If you would like to volunteer and help me train up Haiti's next filmmakers, you can do so by also emailing us. And if at any time you'd like to see some behind the scenes or what's going on with the show, even a couple of examples of what's already been made, visit bonfuitv.com. Thanks for watching. Amen. So he's on the roll. Four million people in Haiti to see his productions now. Wow, it all started with a little kid that got a little webcam and started doing clay clay figurine kind of movies. So he's gone a long ways over the years. But we really appreciate your support. Many of you have helped him out, and really thank you for that. And Samuel, our other son in the picture, he has just completed Sopship Training Schools in Haiti. Just helped me uh, complete a road that got into a village that used to be predominantly voodoo. Now there's a road going in there to help those people. Well, God is really doing a lot of things in Haiti. And I, I do want to highlight one more village, Balale. Balale was a village that was 90% voodoo worshipers. And we got in there, and it was off the beaten path. I found it way off in the distance. And when I got in there, this is what I found. 90% actively involved. They're all living in mud huts. I mean, it was very difficult. But over the last years, God has been moving. And I remember there was one point where they came in, and they said, Terry, we want you to build us a church. And I said, no way. I'm not going to build you a church. I mean, what do you think? I'm a missionary? No, I, I, no, I, I really, I told them, no way, I'm not going to build you a church. And they said, well, why aren't you going to build us a church? You know, you're a missionary, you know? And I said, no, a church is an expression of your faith. Something my grandfather, Wayne Hatcher, taught me when I was a young. He said, Terry, you know, people building their church, this church is an expression of your faith. You know, and so I told them, I, they said, well, we're poor, we can't do that. And I said, sure you can, you build a mud hut. You tell me you can't even build a mud hut for God? I went away about three months later. I came back, and here they had poles up and thatched walls together and roots, and they were doing a church, and they were having prayer meetings every day at noon. The church started, the, the whole village started repenting. Now the village is two-thirds Christian. Now, without even preaching about it, all of a sudden people who were living together, husband and wife, but never had a married, began to get married. Imagine that. Didn't even preach about it. 
God, when he shows up, he starts mending. I think that's what God wants to do here. He'll start mending and weaving those generations together. There, we did nothing. They just started getting married. Then, we, as we were helping them build homes through our project Home of Hope, they would put on top of the door when they got married, Madam so-and-so and Madam. Oh, they were so proud they were married. They weren't hiding it. They were displaying it. And God just took them to a new level this year because what they did this year is actually joined us in the Great Commission. They actually joined teams that were coming down preparing food and stuff, helped them prepare the food, helped them organize clothes distribution, and then they went out doing door-to-door with them. I'll never forget this one truck showed up. And, you know, in Haiti, y'all think poor people are, are grateful, humble people. You, you don't know poor people. I got a wonderful brother who's been working in Haiti. Amen? You can say amen to that, can't you? <laughs> he's, he, he's been working with me in St. Mark. And so, uh, actually, he's been working building a school. It's so good to have you here. But uh, we got to talk a little Creole. Come on, yeah. Tu bagay bien? Ah, we. Okay, sorry. Anyway, we got distracted. But anyway, we, we, I mean, the people, poor people are not always grateful. And this one truck came in, and they started getting clothes. And as they got close, they got back on the truck, and I walked out there. I said, everybody happy and Creole? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. they didn't get enough. So I walked back in, you know. And it can get discouraging sometimes. But what happened was the Balale people, they all started chastising them. You should be grateful. God gave you something. They just started preaching at them. I walk out about three, three minutes later, and all the people said, thank you. Thank you, thank you, totally repentant, you know. And that's the power of the gospel transforming a village. Now they are discipling the other villages. They're teaching them how to be grateful. They're teaching them how to know their God. Isn't that incredible? So it's been really encouraging. Here's a small, I want to show you a quick video of one of the people of Balalay. This is a single mother, has two kids. She was living in a little mud hut that was about... The corner of that stage where those flowers are to this pulpit, that big. You'll see in the video. Go ahead and play the video. This is the village of Balale. Hello, everyone. My name is Terry Snow. This is my wife, Ingo Snow. We're out here in Balale today. But this wonderful lady right here is a, a, a woman who's about to receive one of the benefits of the contributions of a new home. She is a single mother. She has two children. uh, And she has been living in this little hut with no security. And this new home is going to put her children on cement floors. Every time I come here, they're sick with runny noses and things of that sort. But now we're going to be able to put her in a home. And this home is adjacent to her brother, which is going to mean that she's going to be a single mother with two children that have the security of family, you know, and living in a safe and healthy home. And uh, I think also we have some other things we're going to give her to help her in her homecoming with some some sheets she doesn't know about yet and chairs and things of that sort. But we just want to say thank you to everyone who has been involved in Homes of Hope. What we're seeing in Palale is extraordinary. In seven years, this village has turned from being a village that was mostly voodoo 
to a Christian village with their own church, and now that's the church in the back they have now. Participating in the Great Commission, partnering with us to go to the other villages in the area. Are you happy about your new house? I just told her, I said, are you happy that God is giving that house? She says, oui, yeah, she's happy about that. Okay, nous content, même nous gagnons chance pour aider vous. Avec Timono. Bonjour, Remo. Okay, I said, we're just happy to help you and God loves you. Thank you again for everyone. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing and building His kingdom right here in Balale, St. Mark, Haiti. A week later, we checked in on Magda, the single mother who used to live in a small room without a door lock. So wonderful about these people are they're so grateful. And I've actually learned working with poor people, the first step in bringing them out of poverty is to have a grateful heart. Be grateful for what you have. Because that's usually the hardest challenge they have to say thank you, thank you, thank you. But Balale has learned a secret, and now they're spreading it through the fifth section, which is the poorest district in St. Mark. Well, God has been doing some incredible things, and I want to share something that God laid on my heart with you. And I would title this message, What is in Your Hand? I want to begin by reading Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. It says, Moses answered. Now, this is when Moses saw the burning bush and went over to hear God. To hear, see what it was, and then God spoke from the burning bush. And, and God said, Moses, or God began to speak to him. Moses answered God and said, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? I think the very important thing that we need to understand, so often we're looking at missions and reaching out to Granbury and doing, we, we think, well, I don't know what to say, Pastor. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to reach out. I don't, you know, I want to challenge you guys. I believe God wants a team to come from this church to Haiti. I've been talking to some of you, and I, I, I found quite a number of you are already saying, I, I want to go to Haiti, I want to go to Haiti. Let's stop talking, let's do. I, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of preaching, I want to see action. I hope today a message you don't walk out of here and say, oh, that was good. I hope you walk out of there and say, oh, I need to do something. That's what we need, that's effective. And, and uh, But I really want to invite you, I want to invite, this is official, I'm inviting generations to dare to go to Haiti, follow your 
local Granbarian who's went down there and lived now for almost 30 years, working there in Haiti for almost 30 years, and maybe consider building a house for one of these people in Balale. I want to share what God can do in transforming a nation with you. And I guarantee you, not only will you be involved in sharing the gospel with them, your life will never be the same. If you're feeling like cold and stagnant, I don't know what to do anymore. I dare you to go to Haiti. You will never be the same. But anyway, we're reading that what is in your hand. A lot of times we think we're looking for something big, and it's not necessarily anything big. And it goes on, and, and, and Moses says, a staff. He replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and became a snake. And he ran from it. That's, that's the important part. This is great. I like it because people really lose concepts in the Bible because they have made Charleston Heston Moses in their mind, you know, in the movie. It's like, you know, this, you know, just majestic, noble. But the reality is Moses was just like you and I. And how many of you would, if you threw a stick on the ground and it turned to a snake, you would just say, oh, that's interesting. No, you'd be like, ah, because what? We're from Granbury, Texas. We got rattlesnakes. They bite. I have no idea what kind of snake it was, but we all know, run from snakes and probably scream while you're doing it. Guys, don't be so brave that you don't scream. I'm sure you did. And Moses ran from it, and then it goes on. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Yeah, right. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. What was God saying to Moses? I can just use that thing that's in your... It's irrelevant. Don't you tell me what they'll say, what they'll do. Don't tell me what you can or cannot do. Use what's in... I can use anything, even that stick in your hand that you lean on to watch those sheep as they eat. What does that mean? We're all without excuse. Now, I want to reflect back real quick to Moses. Let's look at Moses. Moses had destiny. Did you? Can you not agree? I mean, he had a destiny. He was born in a time when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And when he was born, his mother hid him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh found him, right? And then all of a sudden, the daughter called for the mother to take care of him. God is so good. And then they grow up in royalty. Hallelujah. Don't we love this? This is prosperity, and he grows up in royalty, and as he grows up in royalty, he becomes knowledgeable and educated and, and, and strong, and he, he knows that he has a destiny to set his people free. And what does he do? He goes out one day to fulfill his destiny. Any of you ever felt like you have a destiny? Moses knew his destiny was to set his people free, so he went out to do it. But the problem was, he was trying to fulfill his destiny through the filters of his understanding. 
And as a result, he ended up doing some bizarre things. One was killing a guy. Then he goes off and he, he, he flees into the desert. And in the desert, I'm sure he sat out there leaning on that stack, that staff, watching them sheep, contemplating how many times he blew it. Is that you? Has God spoken to you something? You heard God. You knew it was God. And you went out and did what you understood God told you, but it didn't work out the way you planned. He said, I blew it. Maybe you said, well, God, I miss God. Maybe you said, God abandoned me. I have all kinds of issues. Maybe you feel like you're in a desert. I remember one time I... God spoke to me. It was so divinely. I was walking around the ranch in Twin Oaks Ranch because God speaks best in Texas. Even though it's East Texas, he even spoke there. And I went, I was walking around the ranch one day and God spoke to me there at Youth with the Mission Campus and God spoke to me. He says, Terry, I am going to give you a property and today you will receive a letter of the property I already gave to you. That's exactly what I still remember to this day. That's exactly what God told me. And I'm like, what, what, where did that come from? You know, and then God pushed my button and said, I'm telling you, and he knows how to push our buttons, and I knew it was God, so I said, I received that, Lord. I was so excited after that because I thought, well, if today I get a letter, I know I heard from God. <laughs> so I did, I got a letter of crying out loud. It was a green letter, it was like fluorescent, it was like God screaming at me, here's the letter. And I read the letter, and it was a mission that says, I have a property in Haiti I would like to give you, and I'm like trembling. God spoke. We went down there and saw this property and everybody said, well, you got to have this, you got to have that. We didn't have that. We didn't. Everybody told us how we couldn't have the property. And we gave it up. I gave it up. Because it didn't fit the way it was supposed to. I even stood up before. They had me, when, when they heard this word that I got, they had me stand up for all YWAM. That's a big base there. It's like 350 people. Fellow missionary standing up, God spoke to me. Ever felt humiliating? And then I remember the next day, though, it was funny, because the very next day we, I went driving around that part of the area where I heard, I told everybody I heard God spoke. Everybody was out there. Ah, uh, you would do it too, right? But then all of a sudden everything fell apart. Seven years, and, and I told God, I said, God, I realize I blew it. If you ever give me a chance again, I'll put my faith in you. I won't put my faith in men. I won't put my faith in myself. Seven years later, God opened the door and we got into that property. And I was so thankful. But the problem was is everybody was still telling me the same stuff, how you can't have this property. And I listened to them a second time. I don't know. Maybe I was slow. I listened to him. And after a year, it looked like we were going to lose the property again because God didn't supply no money. Nothing was coming about. It looked like everything was lost. And I remember one Sunday morning, I was just praying hard. God, why did you bring me out of Egypt? Well, there's not enough graves in Egypt that I could die there. You know, I mean, I was doing my own screaming at God. I'm sure y'all never scream at God, but I find it very helpful. 
It's not that God likes it when we scream. It gets us out of the way so we can hear him. That's the advantage. You know, and I'm sitting there screaming at God, and then all of a sudden God speaks to me. Not new words. He speaks to me my words. He says, if you ever give me a chance, I'll put my faith in you and not me. And I remember when I heard, this was seven years later, people. God doesn't forget what we say to him. And I remember I heard that and I'm like, what? But God transformed my thinking at that time. And what ended up happening was I realized I was putting my trust in man's deeds and man's ways and man's money. And I wasn't putting my faith and just accept the gift that God said. Wow, God, you gave me a second chance. You gave me this property. I receive it. No, I never even did that. I was waiting for the deed. I was waiting for everything to work the way I wanted it to work. And when it got done, I just said, and I remember I went to God and I repented. I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, God. And almost immediately, God came in and opened the doors and we got everything taken care of. I didn't care if we had nothing, but God did everything and he confirmed everything by the way men want it. See, the reality is, men only confirm the truth of what God says. Sometimes we get it backwards. We're thinking our confirmation are men confirming the word of God. But really, God speaks, we move in faith, and then men confirm it. You see the difference? God taught me that lesson. Don't move by men, move by God's word. If you're here today and you had a destiny and it didn't work out the way you planned or God spoke to you something you were supposed to do but didn't work out the way you planned, God hasn't forgotten. Neither did he forget with Moses. See, the reality in Proverbs 16, verse 13, it says it really clear in my opinion. It says, to human belongs the plan of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord what you, whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. What does that mean? That means we have our plans, but God is working to sanctify us. God is interested in making in you what you were to be. That way you can fulfill your destiny. Sometimes you didn't miss God at all. It's just God is working in you. The things that he needs to work in us to produce what he wants to do through us. So just because things don't work out the way you planned it doesn't mean you didn't hear from God. I believe that's a word for somebody here. Also, we'll put out the disciples. There's a story in Mark chapter 6, verse 37 through 44. This is when the disciples, God, Jesus told them, feed the 5,000. In verse 17 it says, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. Again, he's saying, what is in your hand? And the story goes on, and they asked him, well, find what you have. And they came up with five loaves and two fishes. That's all they had. But in the beginning, the disciples said, no, it's an impossible task. It's a year's wage. We can't do it. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. 
But Jesus didn't hear any of that. Let's look at the disciples before that happened. What happened? Oh, he's not up there. I'm sorry. Everybody looked at the screen. What did he say? But before that time, what, what happened just before this, this whole episode happened was is that, that the disciples were sent out on an outreach. They went out and many miracles happened. Anybody ever been out on an outreach here? Raise your hand. Okay. Every one of you, raise your hand. Going to Haiti. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so you got to watch missionaries. You never know what they'll do. But anyway, when you go on an outreach, it's extremely exhilarating. God does incredible things. You step out of your boundaries. You go to new places. But I guarantee you when you get home, you're totally exhausted. People go to Haiti and they go there and they're living and they're like hot and it's sticky and there's not this and there's cold showers. I hope I'm not discouraging anyone from coming to Haiti. But, you know, there's all these things. And but when they come home, they're like exhilarated and they love it and God moved. And I never believed God could use me this way, but I'm totally exhausted. Leave me alone. I'm going to sleep for 24 hours. And this was the disciples. And then at the same time, they got the news of John the Baptist who had just got beheaded. Anybody here in Granbury been beheaded that you know lately? I mean, they were going through some situations. What a roller coaster of emotions that just wore them down. And then Jesus finally got smart in their minds. Come, let's go to a place to rest. Yes, now you're talking. I can follow you anywhere, Jesus. And they get in the boat and they go to find a quiet place to rest, reflect, to get refreshed. But 5,000 people follow them. 5,000 people. When I came to Granbury, it's population 2001. I don't know what it is today, but I always liked that. Population 2001. I always felt important. One, you know. <laughs> 2001. They must have counted me. I don't know how many are here in Granbury. 5,000 people followed. And that's not all the women and kids. Maybe that was Granbury. Can you imagine all Granbury following you down the Brazos River while you're trying to take a camp out and get away from everything? All Granbury shows up. And then Jesus told them, after teaching them, going beyond the normal time of the service. <laughs> I'm clue. That's a hint. No, <laughs> they went and went and kept teaching and kept teaching. They wouldn't go, so he gave them another message. Tell me the disciples were sitting there saying, "Enough, another day, Lord, another day." You never get tired. And then at the end of all that, they're supposed to be on vacation. At the end of all that, what Jesus says, you feed them. Imagine organizing all of Granbury to sit down in circles in an orderly fashion so that we can feed them. It's beyond our mind. That's the point of this story. It's, it's, it's not imaginable. And they did it. And God did an incredible miracle. They were so tired, they didn't see it. It says, as you go on down, it says in um, Mark chapter 6, verse 51, 52, after Jesus sent them away and put everybody, and everybody was full and happy, he sent them on a boat and said, go to the other side, I'll join you. And then he came walking on the water. He climbs in the boat, verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down. They were completely amazed. 
For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Let me tell you right now, if you've ever been out in ministry, the need is overwhelming. Anybody say that? I mean, you're sitting here, you hear this different stuff that goes on, probably missionaries coming. The needs are overwhelming. In Haiti, the needs are never ending. The hardest thing I have and the best thing you can pray for me is God keep his heart soft. It is so easy to get critical with everybody. Always, you forgot about me. You forgot about me. You forgot about me. You know? Let me say it in Creole. Hi, how are you doing? What is that, your name? <laughs> Having a good day? Why? Because they didn't get a little something. If we aren't careful, we allow the needs to overwhelm us. And even though we have something, we're just not willing to share the little bit we have because we just, we're just tired. But in our weariness, we need to understand that God still wants to move. God still wants to use our little bit. Sometimes we can think, well, I've already done my share. Have anybody here felt like you've already done my share? I feel like I've done my share at times. I'm personally, many times, my wife can testify. I've gone to her and said, it's time for us to leave. About every two months. I did my share. God has to rework my heart. I did my share. Alan, have you ever felt like you did your share? He don't want to answer Probably a smart answer. I've done my share. I've done my share. I did everything. I don't need to do anything else. It's somebody else's turn. The problem is, is Jesus doesn't look at us as meeting a quota in our life. Jesus asks, will we obey? We're the ones who look at each other and say, well, it's their turn. It's, it's none of your business. God is working on you. God is asking you, not them. I got five, six kids with adopted six kids. It's always the other kids, you know, fault. Or it's always the other kids' turn. It's the same thing amongst us often. But Jesus says, will you obey me? It's so hard sometimes because we want to put limits. It's like, well, I, I did that. I don't, I, somebody else is trying to do that. If Jesus is speaking to you, it's your turn. Have you ever had a problem with justice? Right now, there's a big issue going on right now in the world with justice. Christians are rising up. Justice. There's ministries naming themselves justice. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Justice, justice. We want justice. It's time we see more justice. We need justice in this. It's not just that these sex slaves are happening. It's not, we need justice here, justice there. Let me challenge you. Jesus never commanded us to go in all the world and bring justice. Why do I bring this up? Because a lot of times when we're involved and we're tired and God is saying to us, do more we can look at God and say, that's not right. That's not just. 
and really I found in my own life just recently, that I had a challenge with justice. I was mad. Haitians are not always the nicest people. And I felt like there was times where I needed justice. I deserved justice. Maybe I did. But God didn't call us in the world to bring justice. God called us in the world to bring love and mercy. When we realize that we live in an unjust world, and our commission from Jesus is to go into that world and smother the injustice with mercy and grace, watch how God levels the playing field. We can get so caught up at trying to bring justice, we lose the message of mercy and grace. Ooh, I won't say it. I've got some ideas, but I won't say it. But I tell you what, Americans, I'm a Texan. I'm from Grand Prairie, and there's something about justice I want. It burns in me. It burns in me. And a lot of times I will fight in Haiti for justice. I think there's times we do stand for righteousness. Don't get me wrong. We stand for righteousness. We seek justice. But we just always got to keep it balanced. That for love is the purpose Christ changed us. I've never had success by winning justice. I've only had success by overcoming injustice with love, forgiveness, and mercy. It's the hardest battle you'll face. And then I want to share one last thing, John chapter one, chapter 21, verse 15 through 19. This is the story, and I'm not going to read it, but 15 through 19, it's a whole story about Peter, and if you recall Peter's life, Peter laid down his career. He dropped his net and followed Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Drop your nets and follow Jesus? I've been challenging that for 30 years, 30 plus years I've been in ministry. I've been saying, who will join me in dropping their nets and following Jesus? I haven't found one person yet that dropped everything just said, I'll, I'll go. No, I'm not condemning anybody. I just think, huh, we need to commemorate Peter. He dropped his nets. He dropped his career. There he went. This is who Peter was. Peter showed his devotion time and time again. In fact, one time, you know, he, he was humiliated before his fellow disciples when Jesus rebuked him. Can you imagine if Alan was talking to you and you said something that you thought was really right? And he said, get behind me, Satan. He ain't even Jesus. But you see the battle going on in the disciples all the time. Peter and all those guys were fighting on who gets to sit on the right or the left. So you know how humiliating it must have been when Jesus all of a sudden looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, he was put all the way to the bottom. But yet he continued after him. When Jesus said hard things, where everybody left, the whole church disappeared from him. Jesus turned and looked at him. Are you going to leave me too? 
What was Peter's response? Where would I go? He was devoted. And when the soldiers came to take Jesus, it was Peter who pulled out the sword and cut the ear to defend his Lord and Savior. He was willing to lay down his life for the cause of Jesus. And again, Jesus says, what are you doing? And fixed what he did wrong. Then Peter did something that he greatly regretted. He denied Christ three times. And Jesus predicted it. Then Jesus, risen from the dead, appears to him and comes to Peter here in this passage and says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? What do you think was going on in Peter's mind? The man who had denied Christ three times the night he was crucified. And Jesus came to him and said, do you love me? What do you think was going on in his mind? Peter was probably thinking, he questions my loyalty. And and Peter says, yes, feed my sheep, he says. Okay, and I can imagine Peter getting up to go do something to help. And Jesus says to him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds again, yes, of course, I love you. Feed my sheep. Now Peter has to be going, wow, he really doesn't believe. And then a third time, Jesus stops Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, how can I convince this man? You know, he says, you know. I thought about this scripture. You know what, now I, I think about it, was Jesus questioning Peter's loyalty or love? Or was he trying to affirm for what purpose Peter was still there? It's amazing, guys, how often we get so confused in our minds that when Jesus comes and says things, we filter it through our perspective and we totally miss what God is trying to say. I believe Jesus was what he was really saying to Peter is, I know you love me, but do you know you love me? Do you know you love me? And I believe that Jesus was wanting Peter to understand it's out of that love and devotion you obey me. You don't have to earn me, Peter. You don't have to prove anything, Peter. You do it. And I see it, but you may have forgotten it. And that's what I want to think, want you to think about. I'm just daring to believe that some of you have been like me, and sometimes I've forgotten why I do what I do. Oh, all the challenges and work and things you got to do day to day, and all of a sudden you forget why you're doing anything. And sometimes you need to sit before Jesus, and you need to hear him say, Do you love me? And you may find yourself saying, oh, God, you're saying this because I haven't had a quiet time in two weeks or this or that. Oh, you're saying this because I failed you here. And we bring all of our garbage to God. And all the time, God was just trying to get you realigned to realize, I know you love me, but do you know you love me? And it gets us right 
where we need to be again. I believe every one of you have a call. Every one of you have a call. But sometimes our reasonable service that we do competes with our call. And I want to challenge you that as you sit before God, listen for your call. I'd love every one of you to come to Haiti. But not every one of you are supposed to go. Not every one of you are supposed to go. Really what I want you to do and what God wants you to do is do the one thing that's in your hand to do. The one thing he created you to do. And to do it out of a devotion of love. One man came through Granbury, Texas many years ago. One man obeyed God. One man dared to say, I want God to use me in this little bitty town of Granbury, Texas. Which back then was hardly nothing. And he came here, he sought God, and he showed up in a church that had like 50 people in it to do a revival. And one night, a young man came in there by the name of Terry Snow that was ready to kill himself because he thought he had blown it. And this one man dared to listen to God and say, some of you have said this, and he read my mail. God told him everything I was thinking. And as a result, I got saved. Never saw that man again. But that one moment in that man's life, I have no idea how he impacted anywhere else. But that one moment in that one man's life of obeying God and doing what he could provoked me to go to Youth of the Mission. To go start Youth of the Mission in Haiti. To literally see thousands of lives impacted. People receive homes that would be living in a mud floor today. Churches to be launched. Young people to be trained and equipped to reach their own people and even other nations. All from one man doing what was in his hand to do at that time. And some of you... You don't realize the little impact you might make. But what I have found, when I say I can preach the most fabulous messages around the world, but when I say one word that is from God, that is from my heart, based on something God spoke, it's lightning in a bottle. There is no end to what can happen. That could be you standing in the line at Walmart when God nudges you. That could be you standing in the grocery store and all of a sudden reach over and say, let me take care of that grocery bill for you. Why? Not because you had pity, but because the Lord said do it and you knew his voice. Is that a devotion of love? I want to play one last video. This video is a real challenging video to me and I hope it will be to you and I want you to think about it. But the challenge at the end is extraordinary. What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to lay your your life down in devotion to what Jesus has created you for? You know, I just feel like I need to say this. This just came to my mind. I feel like God spoke it to me. And some of you need to know God just loves you. 
not for anything you've done, not for anything you will do or have done or are doing now. Some of you are having a hard time just saying, I receive your love. It's that simple. If we do not minister in Granbury out of a love from Jesus, recognizing the love he shows us, we'll never communicate that love to others appropriately. Just like when people come to Haiti all the time. Most people come to Haiti because they pity the poor. I tell them, don't pity the poor. If you came here to pity the poor, you just killed them. Don't come here to pity the poor. Come here to love what God has created in these people. Come here to find out how love, how much love God has for the people. And then communicate that love to them. That's what they need. But I want you to, to watch this video. And I hope it challenges you as we close. see a nation like India where there are more people living below the poverty line than there are people in the United States altogether. Last week alone, 100,000 children died of hunger-related diseases. see a world where our dogs and our cats are eating better than our brothers and sisters in the Sudan. In addition to over a billion people who haven't even heard the name of Jesus that's on our lips. And on top of all of that, thousands upon thousands of our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and persecuted in China and Laos, North Korea, and Saudi Arabia. And when we should be on the firing lines for God, when our people should be on the firing lines for God, most of them are still in the nurseries of our churches drinking spiritual milk with the mammoth needs of a world without Christ in front of us. We face two options. We can retreat from this mission into a land of religious formalism and wasted opportunity. Or we can risk everything to fulfill the divine purpose for which we have been created. And I say, let's risk it all. I say, let's risk it all. For the sake of a billion people who haven't heard his name, I say let's risk it all. We are not living for this city anymore. We are living for the city that is to come. Are we going to die in our religion or die in our devotion? God help us to do the latter. Thank you, Terry. That was not a sermonette for the Christianettes learning to play their castanets. It was meat challenging us to do our part in the world just like Christians all over the world are doing. We bow our heads. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as to what is in our hand in doing your will in the earth. What's in our heart 
that's for the benefit of others and the furtherance of the gospel in the earth. Lord, I pray that those that think they once had a calling but they blew it, I pray, Lord, that they would see you as their redeemer and that they are right on schedule. Moses was 80 years old when he began to fulfill your calling in his life. So none of us are too old to begin to obey you. So, Lord, I pray you'd pick us up from the pits of regrets and put us on the pathway of your will. In Jesus' name.